we consider faith, beloved, there's another verse that it goes on to say there in verse number two, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Now, I did not know about you folks. I used to work for a place, and they would give out uh, semi-annual reports. In other words, they were somewhat of a review, and they would review your work, what the supervisor would say or other people would say. And it always made me a little bit nervous because I thought, man, if, if you get a good job on this report, then you get a 50 cents on the hour raise. If you don't get a good, a good review or whatever it is, then you don't get a raise. So we would always be somewhat nervous prior to those reviews, prior to the reports that were given on us because we realized they were out of our hands other than striving our best to do a good job. Well, the Bible says there with regards to faith, for by it, the it there would be faith, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Now, when we stop to think about that phrase there as well, beloved, for by it, the Bible says, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed. Now, once again, how you could take and build something which has the mass of this earth and the weight of this earth and build that thing, design that thing, create that thing, and then hang it on absolutely nothing, it is truly a wonder of God. In other words, we, we really do not understand exactly how it was framed, by faith, but by faith we believe that because the Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth, we flat out believe that. We do not doubt that. We fully embrace that. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. In verses 4 and 5, the Bible goes on to talk there about the faith of Abel. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained a witness, obtained witness, that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. In verse number 5, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him, for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now I want you to notice there in verse number 6, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now this morning, beloved, I want you to notice carefully the, terming, the, the terminology there in verse number 6, where the Bible says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. The Bible tells us, for by grace are ye saved through faith. And when we think about faith, beloved, if we do not have faith, we cannot know God. We cannot believe in a God that we have no faith in. We cannot serve a God that we do not have faith in his existence. In other words, we are at best, if we have no faith in God, we are at best as children beholding fairy tales in a fairy tale book, and we kind of believe like, well, I, I hope it's true, it may be true, it may not be true. But, beloved, the Bible distinctly says there, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That other phrase there, the second portion of verse number 6 where the Bible says, For he that cometh to God. Beloved, we believe in the sovereign grace of God. We believe that God is absolutely sovereign. We believe in the doctrine of election. We believe in that particular redemption. We believe those things. But at the same time, beloved, the scripture also declares the responsibility of the individual, as the Bible says there, he that cometh to God must believe that he is, 
and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. In other words, beloved, as we look to the Lord, we do so having faith in God that we will be blessed of him, that we will be rewarded for looking unto him. Now, once again, we realize that while we are yet lost and dead in our trespasses and sin, the reason that we come to God is because the Bible says that he that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. We also realize the Bible tells us that it is the Spirit of God which draws us unto him. But if you're here this day and you have never yet come to trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, then I would admonish you in this. Maybe somebody will sit and maybe, maybe you say, well, my pastor preaches the doctrine of election. My pastor preaches particular redemption. And I feel sometimes convicted over these things. But I don't know if that's my conscience convicting me. I don't know if it's the Spirit of God convicting me. I don't know if it's just a, a thought in my mind that I feel convicted. Beloved, come to Christ. Come to Christ. Do not try to figure out, am I numbered among God's elect? Am I not numbered among God's elect? Is the Spirit of God drawing me? Is the Spirit of God not drawing me? Is the Spirit of my mother or my father drawing me? Is the Spirit of the pastor drawing me? Beloved, look unto Christ and be saved even this day. He that cometh to Christ must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And yet we cannot divorce this text from the rest of chapter number 11, and if you notice there in chapter number 11, it goes down through there and it gives to us roughly 20 names, some of them repeated twice, but there in verse number 32, the Bible says, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All these... I'm sorry, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Now, I do not know if any of you folks remember, there, was a, there have been famous magicians throughout the, really since the days of Exodus. They were not famous in the right way. But in other words, there have been people who have been famous. I think of the man... Uh, uh, David Copperfield. I don't even know if he's still living or not, but sometimes he would do the craziest things. And to be honest, when he would do those things, he would make, I don't know, what was it, the Statue of Liberty disappear, the, I don't know what it was, 747 disappear, and we would call him an illusionist. I do not believe that he had supernatural power, but he was just an illusionist. Well, the point is, beloved, that whenever I would see him do something, especially as a child, I would oftentimes sit there and say, how in the world does he do that? And I would always have an inquisitive mind because I would think, man, that, that's just truly amazing. How can he accomplish such feats? How can he do such things? And as a child, once again, I'd always be looking, are there strings back here? Are there mirrors over here? How, how is he able to do that? 
Well, beloved, the list that we just read there, beginning in Hebrews 11 and verse number 32, the Bible gives to us that list, and then it goes on to tell us what those people had accomplished. In verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goldskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Now think with me about this. All of these accomplishments which were, were accomplished, which were brought forth in the lives of these people. Now here's the point. There are times that we may view Bible characters, and as we view them, we'll take and say, how is it that Noah was able to lead the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt? Any thoughts on that? Noah never led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Amen? You all need to wake up. If people don't wake up, they don't get to eat. Is that what you said, brother? Amen? How is it that Moses, being the man that he was, how can he lead over a million people out of the land of Egypt? I will be honest with you. I, I can cook, not great. I believe we have some brother in here who cook, and they cook well. Uh, I can cook, but not great. But if you told me, brother, brother Brent, you have to prepare all of the meal for the people here in the building after morning service. To be honest, I'd be nervous. Now, my wife, she could pull it off with some help, but I would be nervous about that. Moses led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt over a million people and they were able to be fed and carried on their lives for all of those years in the desert. Did Moses have a supernatural power? Well, he had the Spirit of God dwelling within him, but Moses was not a magician. In other words, oftentimes, if we're not careful, when we think about Old Testament characters, we think of the Apostle Paul, the fact that he was stoned, the fact that he was shipwrecked, the fact that he spent time in the seas, beloved. And once again, he was able to survive all of those things and accomplish all of those things. And how did he accomplish those things? Well, the Bible tells us that it was through faith. Now, here's what I want you to see here this morning. As we think about these things, beloved, the Bible then goes on to tell us there in Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, beloved, think with me about this. For us today, when we think about David back during the Bible times, or any of the characters, whether they're mentioned here in the book of Hebrews chapter number 11, or whether they're not, whether it was Moses, Elijah, Elisha, whatever it was, beloved, we who are sitting here today, every time that we read this passage of Scripture, that makes us their witnesses as to what they had accomplished in their life. In other words, as you look back to them, you're able to take and say, well, you know what? We are witnesses. We read what happened to them in the Old Testament, and we also still believe today that it actually happened. In other words, we're witnesses of that. We're not eyewitnesses of it, but we're able to read in the Scriptures and be witnesses of that. Now, another thing that I want you to notice here before we can move on is this. If you notice when the Bible speaks in Hebrews chapter number 11, and this is a blessed truth to me, every one of the people here in Hebrews chapter number 11, saving the individual Joseph, if you read about the Old Testament accounts of those people, every one of them, saving for Joseph, 
had some sort of a sin or shortcoming in their lives. But someone had pointed out that it is a blessed thought that hundreds of years after the fact, when the Holy Spirit of God, in other words, when we stop to think about it, if you were going to write a, write a passage of Scripture about all of the faithful people in there, would you include King David and his, his relationship with Bathsheba? Would you include Moses and his doubting? And take say, well, I'll tell you what, it seemed like that there are better examples of faith. Beloved, these things are written for an admonition for us that nobody in this world is perfect. In other words, you read about the lives of these people. Moses was doubting. Thus the Lord sent him Aaron, his brother. Uh, Noah also ended up being drunk at a point in time. In other words, beloved, there were no perfect Old Testament saints. None of them were perfect. And yet when the Bible gives to us this passage here now in Hebrews chapter number 11, now think with me about this. The people listed here in Hebrews chapter number 11, where are they all that? Where are they all at? When this chapter is written, where are they at? They're in heaven. Beloved, the Bible says when God saves us, that he separates us in our sins and our iniquities, will he remember no more. Now that's somewhat of a hard thing for us to figure out. It's hard for us to be able to know, well, that means that the Lord is forgetting something. The Lord is willfully forgetting something. You see, beloved, here on earth, we're, we're constantly forgetting things. The older that we get, the more things that we tend to forget about. But the truth is, beloved, that the Lord willfully forgives as well as forgets our sins and iniquities. So thus, when this chapter is written about these people, they are already perfect in the sight of God. The Spirit of God did not mention the the relationship with being, between David and Bathsheba. The Spirit of God, beloved, did not record that. But these people were listed as examples, and we are their witnesses as we read the Scripture. Now, once again, there in verse 12, or chapter 12, verse number 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Here, some time back, I preached in a, a conference, and then... I ended up being the last speaker. And I was the last speaker, and the pastor there is a dear friend of mine, and I asked him, I said, Brother, out of all these brethren here, why, why did I end up being the last speaker? And he said, Well, brother, it's because you're the oldest speaker here. To be honest, it kind of did something to me. I've been in the ministry since 19... Talk about being forgetful, 1989, 1990s when I surrendered to preach. And for all of those years, I was never the oldest preacher in those places. But now, at least in that conference, I was the oldest one. Now here's the thing, beloved. We are witnesses of what had taken place there in Hebrew chapter number 11 by, being, by reading about those things. But as the Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, beloved, the truth is that we do not know when the Lord will come back. We do not know. It could be this afternoon. I believe that in the imminent return of Christ, that means it could happen this afternoon. There's nothing else that needs to be fulfilled. But as we read this, beloved, we must realize that now it is no longer just David and all of those folks who are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. But right now, Brother Holt, you're also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. There's people who's watching you, brother. They're watching you. Sister Holt, you're also surrounded by witnesses. 
to those of you who are here this evening or this morning, and maybe you're getting a little bit older and up in years, I want you to th- stop to think with me about this. This little girl over here that has her German Shepherd dog, I don't know that it's a German Shepherd, but she says it's a German Shepherd dog, so we will believe that. But you know what, brother? This little girl over here, she's watching you. She wants to see how things go for you in the Christian life. And at this age now, I doubt that she's taking notes. But the point is, beloved, that as these children grow up, they're going to remember you. And they're going to say, you know what, this brother here, he was there to every service. I mean, he was always thankful, always, always faithful, always had a smile on his face. Brother, the same thing is true of you and your wife. We have children who are watching each of us at this point in time, and we're also compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. And the time will come, whether the Lord calls us off this earth or whether we pass off of this earth from old age, you see, beloved, the time is going to come that these children will look back on our lives and they will either receive encouragement as they look back on our lives or else they will receive discouragement. They'll say, man, I heard that guy one time, he pulled into the church parking lot and he was just ripping his wife up one side and down the other. Boy, he was giving her what for. Or maybe some of the kids will take and say, man, I'll tell you what, that woman told her husband off that one time. Man, I'll tell you what. And here they were church members. Beloved, we all know what the world thinks of hypocrites, do we not? But beloved, we're being watched by other people as the children of God. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now the Bible then goes on to give to us instruction with regards to those things. Let us lay aside every weight. Now here's the thing, beloved. In every one of our lives, and we see it in the lives of the Old Testament saints as well, in every one of our lives, it is easy for there to be weights that take place in our lives. In other words, someone someone eloquently stated that if I was getting ready to run in the Olympics, a marathon in the Olympics, Someone had said, and I I don't know that this is true anymore or not, but it used to be that they never put pockets in marathon runner shorts when they were going in the Olympics because they didn't want things in their pockets. They didn't bring a backpack. They didn't bring a cell phone. They didn't bring a radio. They didn't bring a television set. Why is that? It's because when they're there participating in the Olympics, beloved, they're runners. They want to cut down on weight as much as they possibly can, whether it be in their pockets or under the bill, amen, because they're runners. That's their calling. That is what they're doing. That is what their life's goal is to obtain, to run a good race. And they did not put pockets on those runner shorts. Now, here's the thing, beloved. The Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also, just as those people had a cloud of witness about them, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. And I want you to notice that as well, because it says that we're compassed about. In other words, it is like that they're surrounding us. It's not just one person watching you. It's your neighbors on Sunday mornings. When they say, well, there goes the Jones family, the Smiths family, the Holt family, whatever it is. And they're saying, there they go. Once again, At exactly this time, every Sunday morning, we see them pulling out their driveway, and they're going to church. And then they see them once again, Wednesday night, there they go. Once again, we are compassed about with witnesses, beloved. There are multitudes of people, not just one or two, but many people who are watching us because they want to see how we run the race. And depending upon the example which we leave behind, beloved, it will have an impact on their lives. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Now, here's the thing about the weights there. It doesn't say that the weights are sinful, inherently sinful. 
Do we realize that? In other words, the weight there, uh, is deer hunting sinful? Come on, raise your hand. Participate with me a little bit. Is deer hunting sinful? No. Is deer hunting on Sunday morning instead of going to the Lord's house sinful? It is. It is. Now here's the thing. That would be considered to be a weight. It can be sinful. It can be not sinful. But whatever those weights are, they're hindering us in the race that we're running. And beloved, if we want to run the race well, we need to lay aside those weights. In that term there, lay aside, it would be to cast that thing off. In other words, I'm not going to lay it down carefully and maybe pick it up next week, maybe not pick it up next week. But it's something that we're going to cast off, lay aside every weight. In other words, beloved, as the children of God, every one of us, because we have an enemy who lives in hell and travels the earth, but we have an enemy who desires to hinder us in the race we've been called to run. And Satan himself, beloved, has hordes of demons who follow him, who followed him out of heaven, and they are out to destroy us, to destroy our race, to destroy our testimony, to hinder us as we run this race. But the Bible says, lay aside every weight, and the sin which doeth so easily beset us. I would never ask any of you to tell me, but what I would ask of you is this. In the privacy of your own minds today, what's your besetting sin? What is it? Once again, you name it for yourself. I don't need to hear about it. But I ask you to name it for your own benefit. You see, back to deer hunting, if I was today and say, well, man, I'll tell you what, that, that first Sunday of deer season, I get to think, you know what? I only have two Sundays to hunt deer. I have 52 Sundays to go to church and two Sundays to hunt deer. And if I would get the look and say, well, I wonder what the weather's going to be on Sunday morning. Would it be good weather for deer hunting or bad weather? I wonder which direction the wind is blowing on Sunday morning. Now, once again, think with me about this. It's not a sin to check the weather. It's not a sin to check the wind direction. It's not a sin to see if it's going to be raining, snowing, or clear, to see if it's going to be cold or hot. But, beloved, just as soon as my mind begins to head that direction, and I say, I would never, ever, ever, ever hunt on Sunday morning. But let me just check and see which way the wind's going to be blowing for that one stand that I like to sit in. You know what? That's me leaning in that direction. Has it already put me out on the stand? Made drove me out of church? No. But that's the direction that it's pulling me to. And you see, beloved, the thing about it is, is when I feel myself being pulled in that direction, I need to turn from that thing, and I need to lay it aside. I need to say, I'm not going to meditate on it. I'm not going to check the weather channel, because I know my propensity in that direction, and I'm not going to do it. You see, beloved, I've oftentimes told people that, <clears throat> excuse me, David would have been so much better off when he was there on the housetop and when he first looked over there and seen Bathsheba, if David would have taken and said, you know what, that woman is a very attractive woman, uh, but she doesn't have many clothes on, and what I need to do is I need to go down and I need to consult with my mighty men about how the war is going on. And in just a millisecond of time, as David looked over there at Bathsheba, just a millisecond of time, David had that choice to make. Am I, am I going to keep gawking? Or am I going to go do something which I know is pleasing to God? 
Beloved, some of you may know that feeling. I'm not saying with regards to lust over Bathsheba on the housetop. I'm not saying that at all. But no doubt many of you who've been Christians for any, any amount of time at all, to be honest, when that conviction sets in, our heart sometimes will begin to beat a little bit faster because in our heart, the Spirit of God begins to convict us in our conscience. And lo and behold, as He convicts us in our conscience, our hearts sometimes, they will speed up. They will begin to beat faster. Sometimes we may break out with just a little bit of perspiration on our forehead. In other words, we know, beloved, that that which we're engaged in, that which we're leaning towards, not pleasing to God. And in that millisecond of time, beloved, we will make that choice. In that millisecond of time, we might think, well, it's only a second look at Bathsheba. Uh, in the case of Achan, Achan looked there at those wedges of gold, the piece of silver, the Babylonian garments. And Achan is there, and Achan saying, you know what? I know that they forbid us from partaking of these things. The Bible says, partake not of the accursed thing. But man, I'm telling you what, check this piece of gold out. How heavy is this piece of gold? Boy, he picks up some, man, th this got to be a lot of gold here. And, the, and not only that, but right over here is the silver. You know what? Achan should have never taken a second look at that stuff. He sees these garments. He's, man, look how fine the material is on these garments. And he ends up taking those things. And he ends up being stoned because of it. Now, beloved, here's the point. In just a millisecond of time, Achan had that decision to make and what he was going to do. Something that my mind has often pondered as somewhat of a spiritual bubble gum, as we may call it at times, is where do you suppose Achan was planning on wearing those clothes to? Where could he wear them to? If he wore them, at a part, wore them to a party or a feast a month later, a week later, six months later, someone's going to say, Aiken, isn't that a Babylonianish garment you have on? That's the same outfit some of those people were wearing back when the walls of Jericho fell. Aiken, where did you get that from? Where's he going to wear that thing to? Lust conceived, beloved, and it brought forth that sin. But as the Bible says there, let us lay aside every weight, put it away, beloved, and the sin which doeth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience, the race that is set before us. Dear saints of Winton Place Baptist Church, you have got a race which you have been called to run. Every one of you. Some of them is on a little bit different courses. Some of them have a little bit different obstacles. Some of them have a little bit of a different arrangement in the, in the way there. But the truth is, beloved, that every one of the Lord's people, we all have a race to run. And the Lord is the one who has prescribed that course and that is the course that we must run on. Oh, beloved, here's the thing. We must be careful in this because if we're not careful, I can look at someone else. And I can take and I can look at the race that Brother Holt's been called to run on. I say, man, I'll tell you what, if I had his course to run on, man, life would be a piece of cake. And I get discontent with my course to run on. And I say, if I had his track to run on, his race to run, man, I'd be a piece of cake. I'd be happy. I'd be the happiest boy in the world if only I had his race to run. Or I'll look at some of you other brothers and say, man, if I had your race to run, brother, man, that's a piece of cake. Your course is so easy. Just look at you. You're just flying by. You're doing great. And then I get discontent with my course. And I say, but woe is me. My course I have to run. I could do better on my course if I was running on his course. My life is hard. My load is heavy. My course is fraught with ups and downs and hills and curves and creeks and valleys. And it can breed discontentment in our lives. And when that discontentment enters into our lives, 
then what that is, beloved, it's not only discontentment with our course, but it's discontentment with God himself. We're saying, Lord, you gave me the wrong track to run on. Lord, you must have overlooked how many hills and valleys would be involved in my track. But the Bible says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Brother, how many years have you been here in the church now? 32? Has it required any patience along the way, brother? You see, beloved, sometimes when we consider our Christian lives, we, we, will, we will fail to remember that there's a great deal of patience which is involved. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to get there on the, the starting line? Man, you, you take off and the race is done in no time at all. But it's that longevity, beloved, in the race that can wear us down. And we've all seen people quit running the race, walk away from the church, walk away from their service to the Lord because they get run down. Thus, the Bible tells us, be not weary in well-doing. You see, there's the distinct possibility that that weariness will set in as we serve the Lord. That weariness. For we feel like, you know what, I'm going through the motions. Brother, you might come in one Wednesday night and say, there's, I don't know, only a handful of people here. Where's everybody at? You know, I might as well be sitting home watching TV. That weariness that can set in. I do that sometimes. I'll get to church and I'll say, well, man, brother and sister so-and-so, where are they at? I don't think they're sick. Over Where's, where's brother and sister so-and-so? Where are they at? And back there, where's this brother and sister? Where are they at? And sometimes it's easy to be weary in well-doing. Sometimes, beloved, in shepherding a flock, uh, sometimes as you shepherd the flock, sometimes, to be honest, I pity my doctor, and let me I'll, I'll relate the two momentarily. Sometimes I'll go to my doctor, and my doctor's been telling me for about two years now or three years, you need to lose weight or go on high blood pressure medicine and probably get a sleep sleep apnea machine, sleep apnea machine, whatever it is. And the doctor says, so what are you going to do? I'm going to lose weight, doc. And he'll say, okay, come back in three months, and we're going to put you on the scales. And I say, I will, doc. I'm going to do it. He'll say, if you eat this, this, and this, then you'll be in good shape. I will, doc. I'll do it. Sometimes I cancel doctor's appointments because I don't want him to put me on the scales. I might be feeling pretty bad, and I think, Going back to that guy, I mean, I I promised him three months ago I was going to make progress. And actually, I've put on 10 pounds since the last time I seen him. And we get somewhat shamefaced with regards to our doctors. But, you know, beloved, our physical bodies, they're just that, physical bodies. One day they'll be laid down in the grave. We'll get a new body, amen. But here's my point. Within the ministry, there are times that as pastors that we will love our members, love the sheep. We will strive our very dead level best to lead them. We will pray over them. We will weep for them. And we may take and talk to them on the phone or in person and say, Brother, sister, this is what you need to do if you want to be able to have a victorious Christian life. This is it. And then as pastors, we'll see on Facebook that the members are doing just the opposite of what we told them to do. Sometimes it makes me want to pull my hair out, but there's one problem with that. It's already gone. Beloved, when it comes to us running the race and doing so with patience, maybe we feel as though, you know what, Brother Spears, sometimes I just want to quit the race. I don't even want to run it anymore. 
Here's the key, beloved, to being able to run the race. The Bible goes on to say it tells us about running the race, tells us how to run the race with patience. But then in verse number two, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Dear Saints of Wyndham Place Baptist Church, the only way that you will ever be able to run the race effectively is by keeping your eyes upon the Lord. If we keep our eyes on our brothers and sisters in Christ, there's always two ditches. To every road, there's always a ditch on each side of it. If we keep our eyes on our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we take and we say, well, I'm trying to run my race, but I look over here, and the two dangers of this, either we will look at our brothers and sisters, we'll look to those who are more spiritual than we are, and we will be somewhat discouraged by their level of spirituality. We'll look at them take and say, well, man, just look at them. They're doing wonderful. And I just feel like a, a sinful dead dog. You know what the problem is? You got your eyes off of Christ and you put it on another human being. You're never going to prosper by doing that. The other side of the ditch is this. As we're running the race, we look over here at someone else and they're not doing as well as we're doing. So lo and behold, I take and say, you know what? I'm really doing good, man. Look at me. Look how I'm running. And we get lifted up with pride. Both of them are a ditch. Sometimes people take and say, well, I'd rather be in this ditch than the other ditch. I'd rather not be in any ditch at all, amen? But the point is, beloved, the only way that we can run the race effectively is by keeping our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that which he has done for us there upon the cross of Calvary. You see, we do not serve the Lord for anyone other than him and his glory. And someone may discourage us. Someone may take and, and speak to us in a less than favorable fashion. But beloved, we must not be moved by any of those things. The Apostle Paul one time, he was speaking there and he said, uh, neither doeth any of these things move me. I feel like that's not verbatim, but he's, he's talking there about how none, none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself. Beloved, we're going to have many things in our life that will try to remove us from the race. But as our younger brother had spoken this morning, you see, here's the thing about it. We see how far that we have gone with regards to the embracing of sinfulness within our society in just a short amount of time. Beloved, we are those who have been called to stand for the truth, to contend for the faith, to run the race which is before us for the glory of God. I pray that when I was back in Bible college in 1991, roughly, Winton Place Baptist Church, you folks may not have known this, but this was somewhat of a legendary Baptist church. Back when I was in Bible college, I went to different places to Bible college. But when I went to Bible college, even both colleges, I would hear stories about Winton Place Baptist Church, the way that you folks were running what a rich, warm, spirited church that you folks were. Every preacher that I ever talked to who had ever preached here at Winton Place, they'd always come back and say, man, that Winton Place, I'll tell you what, that is just such a sweet, spirited church. The people there are so sweet, so kind. They, they love God there. You can feel the Spirit of God when you're in the midst of that church. The church then, in my mind, it was somewhat legendary because of what I heard, your reputation. Then when I finally got down here and preached for the first time, I walked away saying the exact same thing. And that is still true even till this very day. The kindness and love which is filled in the midst of this church, beloved, 
It is nothing less than the love of God being made manifest in the midst of his saints. My admonition to you is this. As our brother preached once again this morning, earnestly contend for that. Keep on running the race. Don't be discouraged. Do not get weary. But continue to run the race for the glory of God. Because one day the older generation will pass off the scene. And the younger generation, they will have learned by your example, either good or bad, about how it is that we're supposed to run. Continue to be faithful when in place. I love each and every one of you. Love you to pieces. The brother singing the songs. I mean, just everybody with their warm greetings, the, the gifts, the smiles, the hugs. You are such a great blessing. In a time when so many churches are closing down, I admonish you folks, stay faithful. Encourage your pastor. Continue serving the Lord with the joy and the vim and the vigor that you have now. Because as time goes on, beloved, it will continue to get harder and harder and harder due to the wickedness of this world. Stay faithful. Continue serving the Lord. Let's all go ahead and stand. We'll have prayer, and then I'll turn things over to the pastor or song leader. Father in heaven, Lord God, I pray for this church. Father, it seems like that with each passing week that we hear of other churches which are closing their doors, other churches where people just lose interest or lose a willingness to continue on in the race. Please, dear God, I pray for this church that thou would keep a hedge about the people. Father, I pray that thou would bless them, Lord, with a wherewithal to continue to encourage their pastor, to continue to encourage one another. Father, I pray that even as the Bible tells us here in the book of Hebrews, Lord, that we are to provoke unto love and to good works. Help us, Father, to be willing to provoke one another to love and help us, Lord, with that provoking to do so in love. Lord, we're thankful for what thou has done in this church. But, Lord, it's not just what thou has done in this church, but, Lord, we're thankful for what thou art doing presently in this church as well. Please, Lord God, continue to strengthen them. Continue to encourage them along the way. We love thee and pray ask these things now. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Pastor.